We do indeed uh, walk by faith, and we believe that uh, in faith that God's spirit is here today, and he's living and moving and, uh, and working among us. And so we are so glad uh, that you're here today. And again, if you're new and if you're just uh, checking things out today, we are so glad that you're here. Um, we love new people at Hope, uh, at, at any of the, the opportunities that there are uh, to worship. And God is doing some uh, incredible things. If you're just getting caught up with us today, we're right in the middle of a sermon series uh, called Confirmation for Grown-Ups. And some of you hear the word confirmation and go, like that. Confirmation for Grown-Ups. And we've actually been re-exploring, and maybe exploring for some of you for the first time, some of the foundational truths of the Christian faith. We've uh, talked about the Ten Commandments. We've talked about how faith and works uh, work together. Later on uh, in the series, we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer. And it's these foundational truths of the faith that... um, the were if you if you grew up in more of a, a traditional uh, church setting, a part of this um, a part of that was that you went to this class, this experience, maybe sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, somewhere in there in your adolescent or teenage years. And I'm sure for you, if you know what I'm talking about, it was a beautiful, riveting, invigorating, life changing, heart pounding class that at a, as an adolescent you couldn't wait to attend, filled with non-stop excitement, none other than confirmation, right? Did anybody have a great experience in confirmation? Okay, so that, we need to have a sermon today then. Okay, maybe not. Uh, and maybe that wasn't your spirit experience, that it wasn't riveting. And maybe for some of you, uh, you experienced something in Sunday school uh, growing up, and uh, all you remember is just kind of this kind of mean, funny-looking pastor guy that was feeding you with dry material in this dimly lit Sunday school room in the corner of the basement somewhere, and for hours and hours on end until you would just rather eat sardines than recite the second article of the Apostles' creed one more time or cite your favorite Bible verse or whatever that was. And that may be a bit of an exaggeration, but the truth remains the foundational years for a lot of us growing up in the church, whether you grew up in the church or not, you may have more questions than answers about Christianity today. And that's okay. We believe that you're in the right place. Maybe you left Sunday school or maybe you left confirmation growing up saying, huh, what is so good about the good news, right? Because <laughs> all I experienced was boring and irrelevant, that it didn't have anything to do with my life. In fact, my experience was kind of like that as well. Although God did something, even if I didn't believe that he was, he was still moving because all I did was went through the motions. That's all I did during that time. Now you would think, now you would think, uh, I was a pastor's kid growing up, so my dad's been a pastor for about 40 years, and um, you would think that I would be in a church class, I would be the cream of the crop, that I would be the star of the class, the best and the brightest, um, always on time. I had my confirmation homework done like two weeks ahead of time because I was just such an amazing Christian. I was like a superstar, superman Christian. My dad is the confirmation leader. He's the pastor. Of course I've got it all together, Right? Well, maybe not so much. So, in fact, I've got some pictures. If you want to go to the next slide. Um, these are pictures of me during my confirmation experience. Um, so, this guy down here in the left-hand corner, that's the look that I gave to my dad a lot. Uh, the upper land, like left-hand corner, close, but that is not me. I don't know how that ended up there. Um, 
somebody's disgruntled that they didn't get their Christmas present, I guess. So anyway, it turns out that for us, confirmation was in eighth or ninth grade. And uh, for me, uh, I really didn't care about confirmation. In eighth and ninth grade, there was a few things that mattered to me, three things that mattered the most to me. One, basketball, two, girls, and three, impressing girls with basketball. Um, Those were the three things that mattered to me. Somehow the Apostles' Creed did not make the list. And so when I found out we were doing this sermon series on confirmation, literally, I kid you not, the first thing that came to mind was Wednesday nights at about 6.58. You see, college basketball started at 6.30 on TV. Confirmation started at 7. So there's a little bit of a conflict of interest here. You know what I'm talking about? So put in, insert your favorite show here at 6.30, and then you have to go to this dry, boring, dull confirmation class taught by your father at 7. This provides quite a dilemma. So I had it down to the minute. You see, we lived in the parsonage, which is the home where the pastor lives right next to the church. I had it down to the minute that I could run. I could leave the back door of my house at 6.58, and I would run on the sidewalk, literally like 50 feet away, back door of the church, down the stairs, down the hallway, and slide into my chair and look up with the sheepish grin at my father who was teaching the class, and he would look back at me with this look that just communicated, oh, buddy. Oh, buddy, you think you know what you're doing, John. Real nice, real nice. Because no matter if you're the preacher's kid or if you just walked off the street, when we encounter God's word, the danger is, is that we can just let it go right over us, is that it never enters our heads, and more importantly, it never enters our hearts. This morning, it's not your church attendance by itself that has the the capability of transforming your life. It's the God that we encounter here in worship that has the power to transform your life. It's not just holding that book that we read together this morning, your Bible, God's Word. It's not just reading that book that's going to transform you. It's not just getting through it. It's letting the book get through you. It's encountering the God who's in that book and letting it get a hold of you and live in you. Paul talks about this in the book of Colossians. 3.16, another famous 3.16, not John 3.16, but Colossians 3.16. And let's read this together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. One more time, just so we get it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly with depth and substance. But you see, confirmation for me was anything but that. Maybe for you and for me at that point, truth was words on a page. Truth was some abstract idea instead of a living relationship that dwelt in me richly. And so this Confirmation for Adults series isn't about dragging up these bad memories from the past. It's about going back and looking at these truths of the faith for the treasure that they are. For the treasure that they are. Because the truth is you can only run from your story for so long. Because at some point, God's story intersects with your story And that's when transformation occurs. You see, that trend of my life of of thinking that Christianity is boring and irrelevant, that continued through junior high and into high school. And then I found myself as a freshman in college. And I'm there at, at college. And I remember a few weeks into it, I was a little homesick. I was a little homesick and I was a little... I don't know. I was, I was out of the box and I didn't know what to do because for the first time in my life, maybe you remember this, whether you went off to work or you moved away or you went to school... Your parents aren't there to tell you what to do, so you don't have to go to worship on Sunday if you don't want to, right? Your youth group's not there. Your friends are not there. All the people that you grew up with are not there. And it was in that moment for me, I just remember standing, there were some evergreen trees and kind of on this hill overlooking the campus. And for the first time in my life, 
I wasn't saying, get to confirmation on time, get to confirmation. Instead, I heard the voice of God saying, okay, John, it's just you and me. So what's this going to be between us? What's this going to be? Is it going to be real? Because it can't be your parents' faith anymore because they're not here. It can't be the faith of those around you. It can't be the faith of your small group. It can't be the faith of those that are sitting around you today. What, what is it about us, you and me? What's this going to be about? And in those days of prayer and time with God, you might think that I had nothing to stand on, right? Because I just kind of waltz my way through confirmation and Sunday school growing up. You might think that I had no foundation to stand on, that I didn't remember all the right answers and all the truths. But instead, confirmation for me, thank God, was not limited to a one-hour-a-week Wednesday night class. Instead, confirmation for me was seeing the truth of God lived out by my parents. Two people that I saw demonstrate the love of Christ for 18 years. It is so funny how during those years of high school, my parents were the dumbest, weirdest, stupidest people in the world. And then all of a sudden, I went to college and all of a sudden, they got really smart. You know, have you ever experienced that, right? Yeah, all of a sudden, they're the greatest people in the world and they're your best friend. Funny how that happens. You would have thought I missed it all. You would have thought that the confirmation had just gone right over, but instead, in that moment of praying to God, what did I remember? What my dad said, what my mom said, the verses that I hated to memorize over and over, and it moved from here to here, and it became real in my life. And I remember looking up and I'm saying, Dad, Father, God, I want it to be real for me here tonight. At some point for every single one of us, we have to come to terms with that. As it says in our scripture reading that we heard today from 2 Corinthians, it says this, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Right now, here today, not at your old church, not when you went on that mission trip, not on that mountaintop experience from five years ago, Paul's writing to the church and he's saying, examine yourselves, is your faith real? When did faith become real for you? Maybe you're still working on that. Maybe you're still on the journey today. Paul says, examine yourself today. Today is the day of your salvation. What does that look like for you today? And what I know now that I didn't know then is that uh, any research that you look at shows that when we learn, whether it's in confirmation or Sunday school or in in, uh, grade school or, or anything, when we learn, we absorb truth. We learn in three different ways. One of them is just information right, is what I'm doing to you now. I'm speaking. You're obtaining information. We learn by getting information. We also learn by mentoring and coaching, by community, by by close friends and people around us that speak into us. And we also learn through experience. Now, think about those three ways that we learn through information, just having somebody speak to you, through mentoring and coaching, community, and through experience. Which one of those ways do you think we learn the best as humans? Yeah, it's experience. Research shows that we learn 10% of what we learn by information, just getting info. We learn 20% through mentoring and coaching and through groups. That's why small groups are so important. And we learn 70% through the classroom of life, through experience. That's how we learn. And certainly, it starts to make Jesus' model for how he raised up the disciples and how he took them basically through confirmation. It makes that all the more real, right? 
Jesus spent some time in the synagogues teaching, but where did he spend a majority of his time? Mentoring, coaching the 12, and even the three, Peter, James, and John, inside of that. And even beyond that, the way that he taught his disciples was not for them to sit in a one-room schoolhouse in the middle of Jerusalem. Jesus took them out on the roads, and he says, look at the seeds, look at the birds, look at the trees, the classroom of life. Go out, experience the world, and we'll talk about it together. And so as I look at my journey of how I got to the hillside in college that night, I look at that journey and I think, man, thank God that confirmation wasn't just an hour a week. My confirmation experience was the life that I shared with my parents and those people around me. And this isn't anything new. Psychologists are just rediscovering what God has been teaching his people from the beginning. Deuteronomy is a book in the Old Testament which talks about God's people, Israel, and their journey through the desert. And there were no church buildings. (laughs) There's no church buildings in the desert, in the wilderness. And God says to his people, especially to parents, he says this, and let's read this together. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. God says, fix these words of mine on your hearts. Teach them to your children. Pass it down from generation to generation. God's desire from the very beginning is not just for confirmation, but for all of us to not just learn about Christianity in some boring classroom, but in the day-in, day-out experience of life. Do you believe that God is in your waking, in your working, in your playing, in your talking, in your eating, in your sleeping? Long before there was buildings and programs and classes where you could bring your kids to the church and the church would do things for them, God's design is for every single one of us as maturing adults in the faith is that we would know these truths so well that we could ask others to imitate our lives, especially our children, no matter what age they are. You never stop fathering and you never stop mothering, that they would know that truth is alive. In fact, that's the heart of what confirmation truly is. It's, it's building a foundation. Confirmation is the beginning. It's not the end. It's only the beginning. In fact, this instilling truths into the heart of those that are around us is, is the heart of this movie Courageous that we've been talking about. And I want to show you one of these clips, and don't worry, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Uh, I'm not going to ruin it for you. But what I love about this movie is that it's not just about fathers. It's not just about mothers. It's not just about parents. It's the call on every single one of our lives to say, God, who have you placed around me in my life? Who is my sphere of influence? And how can I reproduce my life in them? One of the main characters is Adam Mitchell, and he's a father who's struggling with what does God expect of me as a man? What does God expect of me as a father? And he's learning what that means. And in this moment, he takes a regularly, regular, ordinary life situation to have a confirmation-type moment with his teenage son, and watch how God uses him to speak into his son's life as we check out this clip together. Okay, hold on. Hold on, guys, for a minute. I want to talk to you for a second. 
Okay. I know. Every day I live, I realize I need the Lord more. I don't feel like I started well. I want to finish well. What I want for you is that you seek the Lord, that you trust Him, even if it means you're standing alone. You got me? Yes, sir. Now, before I beat you to the corner. Huh, you're not gonna beat me to the corner. Just let me get a breath. Okay. What is that? What? Hey! You can't do that! Pass it on. Pass it on from generation to generation to generation and make it real. By the way, that guy has the funniest running motion I've ever seen. You want to just get a laugh? Go to your local like public track or something and just watch people run. It's just really funny. I just, I think that's funny. Uh, but the most powerful thing about that scene is that it's the 70%, isn't it? It's the life experience. That's not the classroom. That's father and son doing life together. That's life on life. And the best part of that clip is that you don't have to be a father to do that. You don't have to be a mother to do that. You don't have to be a parent to do that. Every single one of us can pour life into people like that to invest our lives in each other, to pursue God and invite others to follow us along. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 11. Now just listen to this. Listen to this challenge. Paul says this, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts, that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. Who says something like that? What's the last time that you as a Christian, man or woman, went up to somebody and had the, 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 the courage and the boldness to go up to them and say, you know what? I'd like to invest my life into you, so why don't you imitate me as I imitate Christ? Come along. How many of you would have the courage to do that? That's just not normal for us, is it? We don't like to think that way. It's really hard. Who says something like that? Somebody that's perfect? Somebody that's without sin? Somebody that's arrived? And the truth is, the Apostle Paul was none of those. He was a broken, messed up human being just like the rest of us, just like Adam in the clip. But what Paul knew and what Adam in the clip knew is that they, the role of every single Christian is to say with confidence, not, excuse me, not confidence in yourself, but confidence in the God that lives inside of you, to look at others that are younger in the faith and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Not because I have it all together, because I'm messed up and I know that I am desperate for God and I am need of, in need of grace, but I am pursuing God with all of my heart and I might mess up along the way, but that does not disqualify me from investing in your life. So follow me as I follow Christ. What would it look like for you to do that in your life? And that's the heart of this, this, this mentoring initiative that we're starting here at Hubble. Imagine the impact that you could have. That was a five, not even a five minute, a two minute conversation with his son. And you know what? His son is going to remember that run for the rest of his life. Not because he beat his dad or his dad beat him. He's going to remember that because his dad took the time to invest. What would it look like for you to take a half an hour a week and make a difference in the life of a child here in Des Moines? 
That's the heart of this whole mentoring thing, just listening and encouraging. Here's a question for you. As a follower of Christ, do you have a life worth imitating? (laughs) If there was 10 other of you running around, would that be a good thing? Some of you are thinking, it's not good that there's one of me running around, right? Let alone 10, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That word imitation is used over and over again in the New Testament, but it makes us feel really uncomfortable because somehow we think we have to be super spiritual to ask others to follow us, to teach others. But in the 6th century, a funny-looking little German priest longed to make this call from God on our lives a reality, and in fact, our church is named after him, and his name is Martin Luther. So Martin Luther was a Roman Catholic priest, and he saw some things in the Catholic church that needed to be changed, that needed to be reformed. And one of those was that we had gotten this, this, we'd strayed from this idea that everybody can have access to the word of God, and only the priests, only the leaders, only the popes and the priests were able to read God's word in the Latin language, and only they were able to teach. And Luther said, no, no, no. That's not what scripture says. Let's get back to the book. And he brought us back to this incredible passage from 1 Peter. And it says this. In fact, let's read this together. This is what Luther based the Reformation on. He says this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. One more time like you mean it. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Who's Peter talking to there? Do you know? A bunch of pastors? Ordinary people. Ordinary people, probably low-income people, probably people on the outskirts living in the church there. What would it look like if we really believed that? Did you hear that? (laughs) You are a priest. Peter is talking to you, and this became one of the foundations for Luther of the Reformation. He called it the priesthood of all believers, that every single one of us has a direct connection to God. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through me. You don't have to go through any pastor. You can talk to God in prayer and be in a relationship with him no matter who you are and no matter where you are. Reforming, reformation. And Luther knew that in order to get people to really believe that, he needed a tool. He needed something that he could put in the hands of ordinary people and say, use this to teach each other. Use this to equip each other. And that's where we get the small catechism. That's kind of our textbook for this series. And this is just a little book, a a Bible-based summary of the Christian faith. In fact, many denominations, not just Lutherans, have this book. And they they all center on a few key truths that we all hold in common. And this is one of those tools that you would use in confirmation class, at least in the, the Lutheran tradition has been using it for decades. And so catechism, meaning catechetical teaching. Say catechetical. Catechetical. Say that three times fast. That'll be fun. Um, cata what, you might say. Uh, what in the world is that? Catechetical, catechetical, I can't even say it, teaching, is what Luther, it's the style that he used to write the small catechism. It's not just verbatim. It's not just a big list of stuff. It's question and answer. The Greek word literally is kata echo. Say kata echo. Kata echo. Literally in the Greek means to bounce back. To bounce back. To ask a question And then somebody responds with an answer, or better yet, to model your life and have somebody echo that back. 
imitate me as I imitate Christ, which is why you can imagine Luther envisioned the catechism being perfect for the home. This is what parents are supposed to be doing anyway in the Christian faith. Do you know that Luther called fathers and mothers the bishops of the home? (laughs) The priests of the home? You are the priest of your home. You are the leader, the spiritual leaders of your home. Not the pastor, not the Sunday school teacher. Fathers, mothers, or even brother to younger brother, mature friend to younger friend. In fact, from his introduction to the catechism, this is what Luther says. The head of the family should teach them in a simple way to his or her household. You may not be a mother or father today, but who's in your household? Who's in your sphere of influence that God's put in your life, that God has called you to invest in? See, Luther believed that, yeah, the church has a role to play in people's faith development, but the best and earliest discipleship takes place under your roof. That's who God made you to be. Or maybe for you, it's your small group. Maybe for you, it's your circle of friends. Cata echo, bounce back over and over and over. I ask a question, you respond with an answer. I, re- I ask a question, you respond with an answer. Back and forth, back and forth, almost to nausea, which for some kids it probably was, but you start to get it because it starts to get ingrained in your mind and more importantly, it gets ingrained in your heart and it moves to your hands and it moves to the way that you live. And it brings you to a place where you're there in college during your freshman year and you're overlooking the campus and you're looking up at the stars and you're saying, I do believe it. It is real for me. I am confirming the faith that was instilled in me by my parents. And so one of the key parts to this small catechism, this little book, this tool that Luther wrote, was something called the Apostles' Creed. Ben talked a few weeks ago that if the Ten Commandments is God's dream for our lives, I really believe that the Apostles' Creed is God's story, and in turn, our story. At our first service today, we had a baptism, and we did the Apostles' Creed, and we did catechetical teaching. When we respond and say what we believe in the Apostles' Creed, We are doing catechetical teaching. We are bouncing it back. And so we're going to practice that here this morning and we're going to try to learn a little bit. So we're going to do the Apostles' Creed together. I'm going to ask a question uh, and you're going to respond with an answer. It'll be up here on the screen. So I ask, do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Okay, say it like you believe it. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you? Do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Do you believe that he created you, that he knows everything about you today, that he knows everything that's going on in your life today, that he knows you better than you know yourself, that the same God that holds the planets in place is the same God that holds your life together? Do you know that? Do you believe it? Next, do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Here's a big long one. Here we go. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that? That Christianity isn't just about how good of a person that you can be, but how good of a person Jesus has already been for you. What he's already accomplished for you on the cross. We witnessed in our baptism this morning this, this dying to our old selves and rising again. We can experience new life today because Jesus died and rose again and invites us into that life. That every single day we're called to die to ourselves and live for him. Do you believe that? The Apostles' Creed is ever so relevant for your life right here this morning, no matter what you're going through. Do you believe it? Do you believe in God, the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Do you know that God's Spirit is here this morning? Do you know that you're a part of the church and when it says Catholic, you might be thinking, I thought I was at a Lutheran church, not a Catholic church. Important clarification to make there, right? Little C, big C is the church, meaning all of us, the whole church. That if you are in Christ today, do you know that you have been given the gift of eternal life and that life isn't just for some day off in the clouds. It's a life that you can step into right now here today. Do you believe it? Cata echo, back and forth, back and forth, question and answer until it moves from head to heart to hands. The Apostles' Creed, ever so important. And so as the church was spreading and uh, Christians were popping up, new Christians were popping up and new churches were popping up, there was a lot of heresy. There was a lot of false teachings. And so the early church fathers needed some way to say, is there a truth that's big enough that we can unite ourselves around? And that's where these creeds came from. What is it that we truly believe? And I like to see the Apostles' Creed as a story, as a great story. And Luther picked up on this. In fact, he may have even thought, what do children love before they go to bed more than anything else? Stories. Don't children love, maybe you still love stories. Maybe you read stories. We love movies, right? Our culture loves stories. We love movies. And so Luther had a three-year-old son named Hans. And he's like, how can I make the Christian faith relevant to my children as they're growing up? And so he would do this catechetical teaching back and forth, back and forth of the Apostles' Creed and the story of God. You can almost picture him saying, Hans, what do you believe? And he would respond in his squeaky little three-year-old voice, I believe in God the Father Almighty. What do you believe about Jesus? I believe that Jesus is God's one and only Son. Hans, what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? And back and forth, back and forth. An incredible story. A great story. Do you believe that that's what the book is that you're holding this morning? That it's the greatest story ever told? Picture the Apostles' Creed as a summary, as a movie plot that you're reading online and trying to decide, is this a plot? Is this a good story that I want to go to? If you think about it, every single movie that you love, every single story that you love shares the same plot, right? Think about the movies that you love for a second. I'm guessing that it has a hero. I'm guessing that it has a villain. And I'm guessing that it has a beloved, that's being fought over. And the hero needs to come and rescue the beloved, whether it's a group of people or innocent people or ordinary people or whatever it is from the villain. And now think about this for a second. Why is it that we love those stories so much? I think it's because they all borrow from the same plot, from God's story. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God's story 
is ready to intersect with your story. Think about this plot. The God of the universe comes to earth in the form of a tiny baby, dies, is nailed to a cross, dies, and is laid in a tomb, comes back to life, and forgives all of your sins, and offers you life eternal. Wouldn't you want to know more about that story? Wouldn't you want to teach that to your children? That's Luther's heart behind the Apostles' Creed. That's the heart behind Confirmation. Confirmation is not graduation. It is only the beginning. It's not the end. And because confirmation is for grown-ups, let's not stop telling this story. Let's pass it on from generation to generation to generation. No matter if you're a parent today or not, say to each other, say to each other, find those people in your household, in your sphere of influence, and say, follow me as I follow Christ. Maybe truth is not just words on a page but maybe truth has a face. And this morning, his name is Jesus Christ. And he is here today offering you life. Life to the full. Will you accept that gift this morning that he offers to you? Back and forth, cata echo, life on life, disciples making disciples. That's the call for every single one of us. Will we accept that challenge. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.